This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. 2NURFM 103.7, we're talking travel. I'm Jane Klein. Sally Lucas is with me again today. And Sally, we're off to a place the very name makes you want to go there. It certainly does, Jane. It, it invites all sorts of images, I think, in your mind. And that's the Silk Route, which was, of course, um, a, a very old route where they traded from China through into Europe in the days when, I guess, China thought it was, you know, one of the only countries around. But suddenly there were people thinking, oh, there's more to the world to see and they transported silk initially but obviously lots of other important objects like jade etc and even things of course like we know is noodles the Italians didn't invent pasta after all so here you go they certainly took it up with a vengeance they certainly did and apparently even ice cream was discovered in China so and that would have been interesting to see that being transported yes. along the street. yes well I don't think it was transported somehow <laughs> Perhaps maybe much later <laughs> but the Silk Route is a fascinating part of China and I I did it 24 years ago, which probably seems like a lifetime to some people, but really in the whole scheme of things and history, that is not a long time. And, you know, Beijing, Shanghai today are very modern, bustling, thriving cities, huge cities. And even though I thought they were huge then, they're even more so now, of course, with many millions of people in them. But you can get outside that and get to this wonderful part of China because it is so diverse. You do have wonderful mountains, lakes, desert. The Gobi Desert is fascinating in itself. And, of course, very historical in, in what it has done in its past and the years it's gone through with Ming dynasties and so on. Um, beautiful caves and grottos that have got frescoes and everything in it. A lot of these were um, destroyed, unfortunately, in the Mao regime. He didn't want to have people be... He had to be the one to be revered, not anything else. You know, no idolatry, no sort of religion. But thankfully, some have been rescued and, and saved over a period of time. So you will get to see some of these along this route. Um, Urumqi is the furthest we went, which is to the northwest. Uh, neighbouring Mongolia and it's the capital of the Xinjiang Autonomous Region. These are called the minority people and they have wonderful markets in that there too. It's, it, Urumqi is a very flat, dusty town but just out of it again you've got these wonderful pine forests where the Kazakh horsemen live in yurts which are like you felt like tents. They live in them in summer but in winter it can get to minus 20 so they don't in winter but they tend to their cattle and they're marvellous horsemen and you can go out there and see these horsemen you know, do their tricks if you like and it's just wonderful to see. Um, Urumqi itself, very fascinating, interesting town. And, yeah, it deserved a good few days there, I think, to look around. And the markets, as I said, were just wonderful, you know, to go through. Um, we then went by train to Turfan. Now, Turfan is the second lowest place on earth. It's after the Dead Sea. So it's about 154 feet below um, sea level. And the amazing thing about Turfan is, again, you look at it and it's just all desert. But they invented this amazing system called Karez, which is a well irrigation system where they dig down and then they dig across. So they go down like a well, then they go out in each direction horizontally, then they'll go down and then across and down and across till they find and tap water. It's the largest producer of melons and grapes in China and it's bang in the middle of the desert. Wow. So it's amazing what you can do if you can find water. <gasps> so that was fascinating. And also there's mountains, they're called the Flaming Mountains because it gets so hot, it can get up to 50 degrees in these mountains in the desert. It's a very dry heat, of course, as you can imagine. And there's again, there's lots of caves where famous people were buried they didn't even have to embalm them because of the dry heat. 
And there's an old town there called Gaoshang, and it was built out of mud bricks, and not a lot of it is left. Some of the walls and some of the buildings, the roofs are gone. Absolutely fascinating. Though. I think it was about 41 degrees the day we were there, but, you know, it, it's just incredible. Then we went on to Don Huang, which is another town right on the edge of the Gobi Desert, and we actually did camel rides on the Gobi Desert, which, again, was fascinating. And we went by train on these two journeys from Arumchi to Turfan and Turfan to Don Huang. Um, and then you go to this crescent moon lake, and it's, it's like an oasis set in the middle of sand dunes. It's just unbelievable. So you see some remarkable scenery as well when you're going through these areas. Then eventually you'll end up in Xi'an, where the famous terracotta warriors were unearthed, and that was discovered by a farmer in the 1953. It's over 6,000 years old, or you know, well over 6,000 years old, and now completely unearthed. And the hall of the museum is built over the site of the dwelling area, which is 3,000 square metres. Um, and it's, it's all existing dwellings, burial grounds, implements, skeletons, pottery, etc., all unearthed there of the Neolithic age. So it's quite a remarkable place to go to, and the actual Emperor's um, tomb, Qing Shi Wangdi. He lived 259 to 210 BC, and they've uncovered. They've got three vaults. They're gradually, you know, excavating each vault. Uh, but his actual tomb is um, 150 meters high originally, but now it's, it's reduced to only 47 meters over a period of erosion and time. And it's some distance from the actual um, warriors themselves because they were there to protect anyone. So he was surrounded by his horses and his warriors to make sure he, he went to that afterlife in, in good, you know, existing condition. So it's a really interesting part of the world to go to, and there's some wonderful itineraries out there in the marketplace that will cover that for you, ranging anything from sort of 15 days for a shorter itinerary up to three weeks, and it was three weeks that I did, and I really recommend the longer the better, so you get more time in each place to really just soak up this wonderful part of China. And I said I think anyone who hasn't done it would absolutely be fascinated by it. And you might even see some silk along the silk route. You certainly will. I bought back a beautiful silk wall hanging that was like woven silk of a panda bear eating some bamboo and he still hangs on my wall, pride of place. It's just beautiful. You can get some wonderful treasures there in their markets. Travel is the subject on 2NURFM 103.7. And Sally Lucas, we're doing something that might make a few of us quake in our boots. I think it will, Jane. I I just read this article and I couldn't help but just pass this information on. You don't have to do what um, is suggested in in this uh, little uh, segment here, but there are other things you can do in this place as well. So what we're talking about is a new... um, uh, if you like, a Crocosaurus Cove, it's called, in the main street of Darwin. Uh, and it's a, a new uh, sightseeing attraction there, and it's home to eight large crocs and 200 juveniles. Now, what you can do there initially, you can learn everything there is to know about crocs and um, also you know, be informed by trained crocodile handlers and there's crocodile feeding sessions and opportunities to hold a baby croc and all that sort of thing. It's also got a 200,000-litre aquarium which has got barramundi, stingrays, turtles and other sea creatures that are native to Australia's oceans. And they also have a reptile house which claims to have the world's largest display of Australian reptiles. Hmm. I wished I'd known it was there when I went up earlier yes. this year, but maybe it wasn't finished then. This is only in October editorial on it uh, and there's also the junior, juvenile crocodiles exhibit where children can look at hatchlings etc but what you could also do here and this is where it's a crock load of fear um, this particular journo her mission today was to swim with the crocodiles 
oh, I just yes. read that and I thought, now come on, you can't be that can't be right. And when she means big, they're like five point five point five meters long, and you know their teeth look like on a crocodile. And um, there's an albino one called Snowy, which was taken from the Macarthur River near Borroloola in the Northern Territory in 1986 after a man was attacked and killed. And there's another one called Bess. Anyway, what you do, you're swimming in a four centimeter thick acrylic, um, if you like. Container, mm-hmm. as we and it's shaped to prevent crocodiles from biting it. Okay, um, slider that slides along runners over the crocodile pens. Okay, and then there's Snowy and Bert, as apparently who was the star of the original Crocodile Dundee movie, followed by Chopper, and he's a 5.5 meter fighter that lost both front teeth in a brawl with another crocodile. Oh, you'd be safe then. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, as she said, "Fun's not a word I would use to describe dangling in a transparent cage, stripped down to my swimmers above a man-eating crocodile." <laughs> An and she said you have a large crowd gathering b- below, which is equally off-putting as well. And the, car, the, the cage eventually grinds to a halt, and you're now in the lair of Houdini and Bess, with two others. And then water gashes in through the gaps in the panels, and then you're submerged up to your shoulders. So you really feel you Oh, yeah. Them. And she said she was frozen to the spot, absolutely mesmerised by the huge teeth of this massive crocodile. But anyway, at the end of it, when she comes up for air and then they lower the cage a bit further and she has to tread water as well. And several dives later, you know, she, she said the tension's broken and she wanted to do it all again. But, you know, not everyone's cup of tea and you've got to be 15 years of age and older and all that sort of thing and make sure you've got no claustrophobic fears and other things. So they really go through it with you to make sure you're safe and can handle it as well. But if you're not interested in doing that, yes. you could also do um, in the Air Peninsula in South Australia. You can swim with sharks, tuna, dolphins sea lions there. Uh, Ningaloo Reef, of course, which we've often seen wonderful documentary on those wonderful big, huge whale sharks that you can swim with, and that would be absolutely mind-blowing. And at Akaroa in New Zealand, you can swim with the smallest and rarest dolphins. In Africa, of course, you can swim with sardines, but they also have the great white shark there too. Remember they put you, I remember, was it, um, who was it? Jennifer Hawkins, I think, when she was presenting on the great outdoors, she was terrified. She came up actually crying because she was in this cage with these great white sharks. Um, Tonga, you can do swim with the South Pacific humpback whales during their annual migration. And Vancouver Island in Canada, you can float along the Campbell River with thousands of salmon as they're moving. Avoiding the bears. Hopefully. Yes, avoiding the bears. Let's hope the bears aren't around when you're swimming with the salmon. <laughs> but I don't know whether I'd do the croc thing. I think lots of the other things I'd... Might be I'd interesting know. to watch somebody do it. Yes, though. first at least anyway. But there's just another Darwin attraction. It has many attractions, of course. It's a wonderful city to visit. Got lots going for it. You've got the Territory Wildlife Park as well, which is the most fascinating wildlife park just about an hour out of Darwin. You can do wonderful Pearl Lugger cruises and watch those fabulous sunsets. And, you know, the fact that you're on the doorway to Kakadu, and it's, it's just a, a fabulous part of Australia to visit if you haven't already been there as well. And that's our travel for today. We'll be talking travel again next week after the 1 o'clock news. Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thank you, Jane. On 2NURFM 103.7.